Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Ross Green, welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. Once again, that's 646 646- 727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hi there. Welcome to another edition of Collaborative Problem Solving at School. If you're joining in live, I hope you are, uh, well, perhaps you're in the Northeast today where we are having spring-like weather in the low 60s. Um, probably just a setup for another winter blast, but uh, we're enjoying it while we have it. Um, let me give you that call-in number again. It would be great to hear from you. We do have someone who um, is supposed to be calling in today, but we'll find out if that actually happens. Uh, 646-727-2691. Uh, it is so nice to hear from people that... Um, they're making good use of these uh, audio programs. Um, lots of folks are listening in live these days, but lots of folks are listening to the recorded versions. And so just as an example, I was um, on the phone with a middle school this morning, and we were talking about the empathy step and how nice it was for me to be able to say to them, listen, uh, I got some resources for you. Uh, I'm happy to walk you through the empathy step a little bit, but I'd rather coach you through it um, once you've started doing it, trying it. Um, go to the Lives in the Balance website and first um, view the videos, um, what Plan B is supposed to look like. Uh, view that first. And then go to the audio programming section and um, watch the videos, the, uh, listen to the audio programming on the empathy step. Um, there's two of them on there, on the Lives in the Balance website. Um, one's just sort of walking people through the empathy step in general. The second, the more recent one, walks people through what to do if a kid, quote-unquote, won't talk. And people are listening to those audio programming uh, programs and getting a lot out of them which is very cool. Um, very cool for me, of course, to see that people are finding that website to be useful um, and making good use of the resources that I'm trying to fill that website with. So, um, obviously you can call in if you want to, 646-727-2691. Uh, if you're not the type to call in, always send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.lives, with a V, in the balance, dot O-R-G. These are your 45 minutes. Um, uh, first bad news of the program, there will be no program next week. Next week, March 15th, no program. This is an extremely rare event, but um, I'll be on vacation a very rare event. 
I will be, as they say, indisposed. Um, so we're going to skip a week. Um, but for today, we're here. And as I always say, these are your 45 minutes. So if you're working with a student who's not responding very well to Plan B, just fed up with Plan B, collaborative problem solving, the whole package, running into trouble using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, having difficulty being as specific as you need to be with the unsolved problems you want to be talking to a kid about, having difficulty getting your colleagues at school to buy in, feel free to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. Um, I'm going to start, since our caller has not called in yet, with uh, an email that I received. And actually, our caller has emailed me, so I may just spend some time on the email uh, if she doesn't call. Uh, but here's an email that I received um, from somebody somewhere. Ah, good, I see that our caller has called in. I'm going to bring you on uh, in just a few minutes. Let me, as long as I mentioned it, uh, read this email. Uh, first, it starts off very nicely. It says, I absolutely love your approach. I'm a therapist who works primarily with kids identified on the autism spectrum. Your ideas work extremely well with them. I'm looking for suggestions on how to best approach schools about two key issues. I agree with you that teaching skills and solving problems ideally happens in the milieu with other children. How do you promote that idea within schools? A lot of times schools want, and of course you can't talk about schools generically, but well, we'll do it anyways. Uh, they often want it done in therapy, outside of school, which we know is not very successful. That's part one. Um, well, you know, we don't want to trash outside therapy. Sometimes outside therapy is actually very useful. But I find that often outside therapy um, is the recommendation for when uh, inside the school they're not exactly sure what to do. And the reality is, one man's opinion here, a very high percentage of the time, but certainly not 100% of the time, but a very high percentage of the time, the help that's being provided outside of school could actually be provided inside the school. We just need the uh, know-how to do it. A lot of that help could be provided with three ingredients. Oh, now you know where I'm going. Three ingredients of Plan B. Getting the kids' concern or perspective on the table on a given specific unsolved problem, preferably proactively. That's the empathy step. The adult getting their concern or perspective on the table. That's the define the problem step on the same unsolved problem. And then the invitation step is where kid and adult are brainstorming solutions so as to identify solutions that address both concerns. That's crucial and that both parties can actually do. Boy, a lot of the help that's provided outside of school wouldn't be so necessary if we were applying those three ingredients in school. So yes, I know that that's a common recommendation. He needs therapy outside of school, but not 100% of the time, but a high percentage of the time. I'm finding that that is only the recommendation because the know-how on how to do collaborative problem solving isn't quite there within the building. It's okay. We can learn that. You don't need a P 
PhD or an MD or an MSW to do collaborative problem solving. Just need the right lenses, lagging skills, unsolved problems, some important tools to help us get organized, the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, and then the know-how to do Plan B, to solve problems with kids collaboratively. Here's the second part of the email. My next question is in regard to the use of seclusion and restraint. While I try to understand the benefits to prevent imminent harm, I find that these strategies are often used too quickly or for compliance. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I'm not uh, a big fan of restraint and seclusion. A very, very high percentage of the time that restraint and seclusion is employed, um, it's under emergent conditions and as an act of desperation. Contrary to some belief that floats around out there that says that restraint and seclusion is somehow therapeutic, I've really never been able to figure that out. I think restraint and seclusion are counter-therapeutic, counterproductive, often harmful, and of course, in worst-case scenarios, um, injurious sometimes to the point of death. That's why there's a major initiative these days making its way through the legislative process at the federal level to help schools reduce or eliminate restraint and seclusion because it's counterproductive, counter-therapeutic, not therapeutic. Yes, it's not so uncommon, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to be doing. It just means that in some places, we're not exactly sure what to do, and a lot of what we are doing is taking place in the heat of the moment, emergently, not proactively, not making sure we have the right lenses on. If we're wearing the right lenses, we know that restraint and seclusion are counterproductive. Restraint and seclusion don't teach any lagging skills and don't help us solve any problems proactively. Well, if we're getting organized through use of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, then we know that there isn't a single lagging skill that restraint and seclusion procedures would teach. Even people who are fans of restraint and seclusion procedures know that. And there's not a single unsolved problem that a restraint and seclusion procedure would help us solve. And if we're doing the third part, which is solving problems and at least indirectly teaching lagging skills. We know that restraint and seclusion doesn't do any of that either. Now, many people say, well, but it's for safety. Uh, if you're solving problems proactively, those safety issues don't come up. Restraint and seclusion are predominantly acts of desperation unless the person doing them believes that they're therapeutic, which they're not. Thanks for your email. Um, let's bring on, uh, this is a return um, appearance for the person who I believe is calling in. Um, this is a teacher who um, is given collaborative problem solving the old college try, but running into some bumps along the way and getting pretty frustrated too. Um, as I talked about last week, if those problems do tend to pile up, and come March, um, everybody's feeling kind of overwhelmed. People are sort of looking toward the end of the road. The school year is, well, 
the end of the school year is in sight, but, boy, it's still two and a half, three months away. So, you know, while the weather in some places is getting a little warmer, we can, we can, we can feel summer coming, and that means a break. Um, it's not as close as it feels, but by March, it's starting to get pretty frustrating, all of those unsolved problems that have piled up over the course of the year. Collaborative problem solving is not a cure-all. It takes time. But let's bring on our uh, teacher. Welcome to the program again. Thank you for calling in again. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I am doing well. So just to fill everybody in, you had called in two weeks ago to tell us about a uh, little guy who you were having struggles with, but also letting us know that he wasn't the only one. Um, and that you've got a bunch of kids in your kindergarten class, right? Yes. Kindergarten class who have a bunch of unsolved problems that are piled up. And by March, that's pretty frustrating. But fill us in. Tell us how things are going. Um, well, let's see. Um Let's see. I don't know where to begin. Um, it's been a, in a rough week, and I think this is only Monday. Um, and I, I guess I I need the sort of the gestalt of this philosophy in that um, I, I really did just start implementing this in January. And what if I had started in September and noticed then that I had um, three um, children with, with very serious needs and then five or six others who were going to need above and beyond the, the typical needs of, of five- and six-year-olds. Um, where would I have started in September? Well, um, believe because I, it or I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm not... I mean, I, uh, this is March, and I'm very frustrated with where I am and how far I'm going to be able to get. But what would this look like if I had started in September? Well, let's. I'm going to answer your question. I promise. Give me an, uh, give me 30 seconds here. Starting in March, and, and actually you started in January. Um, you're going to get as far as you get, and that, believe it or not, was also true in September. You're going to get as far as you can get. You have some high priorities, namely, um, you want to work on unsolved problems that are first and foremost um, disruptive to the classroom process. I think those are your number one unsolved problems to start working on because let's face it, you have several jobs to do. One of them, and I'm not putting this in rank order, although our legislators have put it in rank order, according to our legislators and I don't think this is terrible. Your number one priority is to teach, to make sure that the curriculum gets covered in a particular year, and to make sure those kids who are struggling with the curriculum, uh, their difficulties are well understood and you are able to work on them so that they make the kind of headway you'd like them to make as well. That's academically. Of course, there's another agenda, and this one often gets short shrift, not only in No Child Left Behind, but also in lots of other education policies and initiatives, and that is something that teachers have always 
played a meaningful role in, and that is um, socialization and helping kids who have social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. But these days in classrooms, um, many teachers feel they don't have time to do that. Um, they're consumed by the academics. And so let's lay out there that one of the important things you want to accomplish in a school year is making sure that the curriculum gets taught and your kids are where they need to be academically by June. What's going to get in the way with, of that? Well, in each individual case, kids who are having difficulty with the curriculum itself and on an aggregate level, and this sounds like something that was coming into play for your school uh, classroom this year, um, kids whose behavior is disrupting the classroom process. The sooner we get that settled, and of course we have a few options here, we can try to squash it. That usually looks like plan A, in which case um, those problems are highly likely to just pop up again for the next teacher the next year if they don't make a uh, reappearance, an encore performance, during some part of the school year with you. Or, and here's the game plan you're asking for, we can, on each kid with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges in our room, and I know that you're focused on three biggies right now with five or six who have other needs that need to be met, we're filling out the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. We are getting a good handle on each challenging student's lagging skills so we have the right lenses on and so that we also appreciate why an approach that is heavily oriented toward imposed consequences isn't likely to help that kid even though it might be effective for some, not all, as a squashing tool, then let's identify the very specific unsolved problems, the conditions, the situations in which those lagging skills are coming back to haunt both the student and you. And so the general game and the rest of the class, the general game plan here is let's get to know each kid who you have as a high priority through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems, and then let's start solving problems. Now, a few caveats along the way. It could be that there are academic issues giving rise to those unsolved problems. We might need more than just plan B to help us understand them. We might need testing. There might be some unsolved problems that are being fueled by factors, hyperactivity, poor impulse control, inattention, um, irritability, cranky, grouchy, grumpiness, a very short fuse being among the main ones, where a medication option might come into play. So it's not always so simple as just plain old plan B. We need to get to know each kid, and then we need to think about which issues for each kid are likely to be resolved through Plan B, and I think that's a majority of them, but by no means all, which issues might require further information, sometimes testing, and which issues, and I just named them, might require a medicinal or pharmacologic approach to intervention. And then we're going to start spending, going to start carving out. I was just in Maine today talking with some teachers about this again, we're going to carve out 15 minutes a day. 
And this is a luxury. This is a, well, it's not only a luxury, it's a necessity. We're going to carve out 15 minutes a day for problem-solving time. And yes, we're going to let the class know that this is problem-solving time. And no, it may not be the exact same time every day, but it may well be the exact same time every day to do proactive plan B, to, to set aside the time to sit with the kids who we're most concerned about, who have the biggest piles of unsolved problems, who are the most disruptive to our classroom process, and start solving problems. So the main difference between starting in March and starting now is that if we, excuse me, starting in March or starting in September, September, October, November, December, January, February, that's six months. That's 24 weeks. That's 120 school days. That's 1,800 minutes spent during problem-solving time solving the problems of the kids who are disrupting the classroom process. 1,800 minutes between September and now solving problems. Now, that's the main difference. If you start in September, you've put 1,800 minutes in already. If you're starting in March, there hasn't been a whole lot of time devoted to problem solving yet. You'll get where you get. Here comes the big question. 1,800 minutes for a lot of people sounds like a ton of time. You know, the study hasn't been done except informally. What I hear from people is challenging behavior, gone unresolved. Between September and March would have taken up a whole lot more than 1,800 minutes. So the general feedback is collaborative problem solving saves time. Now, my question, did I answer your question? Um, part of it, I think. Um, and um, our school already has in place something they call responsive classroom and second step. And um, I've sort of moved on. I have enough material here. I don't need to be given an agenda, I don't think, anymore. I've been doing that for years. So um, I, ha I am all for the 15 minutes of problem solving every day. We start our day with morning meeting. We might need to come back after snack because there's problems. We sit as a class. I'm trying to do better at, you know, keeping the me out of it and letting the kids, you know, really sort of wrangle with some ideas. I'm all for that. I have absolutely no problem. Um, 15 minutes a day sounds great to me. And I definitely see how if I had started in September, I'd be in a much different place right now. Before you keep so, going, because we've got to take you from where you're at now, but I just want to make a few points. I love responsive classroom. But I hope we're clear that the 15 minutes a day that I'm talking about isn't in morning meeting. I would call morning meeting a great no, time no. to be working on classroom-wide unsolved problems. But what I'm talking about is 15 minutes a day meeting with individual kids to solve their problems. Okay, and that was part of my question. Are you doing this as a whole class group, or are you t pulling kids out? out? I, the 15 minutes that I'm talking about is um, private, proactive, oh. plan B, with individual kids. Because here's what, and I have a lot of pals 
who who do responsive classroom, and of course I'm a big responsive. Well, class I am. I, you know, there's things about it I like, and there's things about it that you know it it's very um, superficially imposed on your day, and um, I, I I I I get the program, and I think one of my strengths is adapting it to the needs of my children on a minute by minute basis. As with so, everything. As if anything formulaic that is being applied to a school classroom um, is probably not going to work. It has to be tailored to an individual right. class. And, you right. know, I'm sure the responsive classroom folks would say that too. But I guess the key point is we're talking about 15 minutes outside of morning meeting and other responsive classroom type activities where we are meeting with individual kids to solve these problems that they are having um, that, as I mentioned earlier, the first ones you're working on are probably the ones that are disruptive to your classroom process. And here's the other thing some of the folks who I've talked to who are responsive classroom folks have said to me. They talk about the 10% of kids that responsive classroom isn't necessarily well-suited, whose needs are not well-suited to being addressed through mere responsive classroom um, programming and activities. Um, and so a lots of Responsive classroom folks acknowledge that while morning meetings outstanding and a lot of the other things that responsive classroom brings to the table are outstanding, you're probably going to need something else to help out with the kids for whom responsive classroom is not sufficient to their needs. That's the 15 minutes I'm talking about. Got it. It's above and beyond. So my morning meeting is more community building um, and and the problems that arise, arise. I have been doing it more as whole group because I can find time once in a while to pull two or three children aside or one child aside and really get into the nitty-gritty of, you know, uh, the three steps that, that you know, um, you suggest. The, the you know, um, the empathy step and defining the problem and the invitation to brainstorm solutions and, um you know, that to me is extremely time-consuming, so I often address it as a whole class. Um, and I think there can be benefit for each child in that problem-solving process. And so, I think that's I mean, that's, that's how I manage it. That's how I manage it. The fact so. that you're doing responsive classroom already says that your head, and I know this from emailing with you and from talking with you the last time, your head and heart are in the right place. But the fact that I've also received emails from you about kids who are blowing through what you're doing now tells us that responsive classroom, like any full-class program, whether it's tribes or open circle or any um, community-building program, isn't sufficient to the needs of a meaningful percentage, by no means the majority, a smaller percentage than that, of the kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges in your classroom. And so something else is needed for them. But it sounds like you Absolutely. know that already. So keep going. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what to do about it because I do have four full months of school left, and um, I have gone back into the mold of the squash technique. Yes. And I'm not proud of it. I actually um, go home very um, disappointed in myself. I don't think I've helped any child, and I think I have 15 other children watching me, and I'm so sorry that that's what they're seeing. 
So you're in squash mode now with some of them. Three of them. And you're not happy about that, but and lots of people aren't, but they go into squash mode. Well, because what they're doing now isn't working so well, and here's it's, here's it's the not hus- working fast enough. It's not working That's fast right. enough. Well, and and here's the bad news about Plan B. It's an acquired skill, and it takes a while. And many people who are new to Plan B want it to work right away before they're really good at it yet. And the hard part about implementing Plan B is it's going to help you move toward durable solutions once you're good at it. And in that respect, I like it a lot better than a lot of other things out there that you could pick up quickly but on which you would not see durable results over time. There's lots of things that oh, can be implemented yeah. really fast. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think I understand that. And, and um, part of me when I, um, I think I spoke to you about the little girl that I actually had some success with in my, um, you know, empathy step. I was just focusing on the empathy step, and I think I had some. I certainly did have a breakthrough. And but I could see as I was moving, I had had, you know, two um, total failures up to that point. And um, with this um, circumstance, I actually saw Plan B work, and I had a happy child that walked away. I think the biggest thing I can say is I I think she felt understood. Well, and, and that, that's huge. It's huge. It's huge. And so I thought, this this is my goal. This is what I'm working toward. And and my questions were better. You'd given me some some real fine tuning. And um I saw the evidence of, because before I was like, Well, I'm at the end of my rope, I don't know what else to say to this kid. And um but I you fine tuned a couple questions for me and and she came out of her shell and poured forth. And we definitely want to hear about we definitely want to hear about that before we're done today. But you know what? I have to leave in five minutes. Do you? Then let's, do. Let's, can you can you give us a nutshell about yep. what went well with that kid? But let's let's make sure that one thing's perfectly clear. I'm going to use an analogy that you may or may not love. When my son was learning to play baseball. Um, he struck out a bunch of times initially. But I would never call those baseball failures. I would call those signs that he wasn't quite up to speed yet on a bunch of the skills that are required for hitting a baseball well. Then, and I think that we may be about to hear this, he, then a few times he would actually put the ball in play. And maybe he didn't get a hit, but he made solid contact. All of these, are, this is all of the sort of sequence of events that occurs with people just before they start getting base hits with, with Plan B. It just takes, there's a definite learning curve with Plan B, and that's the hard part because you've got problems you want to solve, and you don't want to really have to deal with a learning curve. You want this stuff to get fixed. And um, that's the bad news. It doesn't work out that way. A lot of times your first five or ten plan Bs are for practice. But tell us about the success that you felt 
is, is the student that you had success with, at least in the empathy step, and that's success, uh, is the student that you had success with one of your big three? No. Got it. So let's let's hear about what you were talking about, and then I know you have to run, but um, tell us as much as you can in the time that you have left to give us. Um, well, the incident happened in the um, the lunchroom, and um, this child um, chewed up her Cheez-Its and spat them across the table so that they landed in a girl's tray. She did not know this girl. And um, the lunch monitors jumped on her immediately and told her she was in big trouble and wait till they told her teacher. Great, just the kind of relationship I want transferred. But anyway, um, so I I thought, you know what? That's not how I respond to this. I know this child. And so I took her aside and I said, this was my kids were settled. They were doing their quiet time thing in the classroom. I gathered my thoughts. I reviewed my questions, sat her in the hall, and I said, so what's up? Samara. And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, I did hear that, that you spit your, your Cheez-Its out at lunchtime. And she said, yeah, I did. And I said, well, you know, and, and I just went along sort of that kind of, just a little bit of, you know, asking, will she tell me what's going on here? Well, you know, how would you feel? Yes, it was gross. Fine. Whatever. Then, and pretty quickly, I said, Samara, Don't use names. Oh, shit. Go ahead. Tell me what was going on at the table when you spit. And she just poured forth. She said, well, these two people on this side of me, they were talking to each other. And those two people on that side of me, they were talking to each other. And she put her hands down on the table and said, and I didn't have anybody to talk to. And I said, ah, that must have felt, she said, mad. And, And I said, what else did it feel? She said, lonely. And I said, what else did it feel? She said, sad. And so I thought, there we are. There we are. It's what. It's why she spit. She was lonely. She didn't know how to use her lagging skill with her ability to communicate that I'm being left out. And actually, for this one, she's left out a lot in life. Mm. And um, so the, we talked through it. And we, I, you know, I don't know if this was the best timing, and these were some of my questions, but it was like, Hmm. If they're talking to other people and they're talking to other people, I said there was that girl across from you, right? And I sort of started to, and I don't, I, I, I would ask if this were a, a good strategy, but I would say, hmm. But you did have her, right? I said, did you know her? I said, no. I said, you know how we practice in class, um, in meetings, how it's like, so what's your name? And the child, you know, might tell you her name. And, and you could say, well, my name's, you know, mm. and, um And then I, we talked about it was, it was right after vacation. And could, could you say, what would you do for vacation? And, and her face just brightened up. It just brightened up. And she walked away from our, our talk and our discussion. And all I can tell you is this, 
this, the countenance of this child completely changed, and she went away satisfied, as I say, as if she'd been understood. Good for you. It was wonderful. I mean, I think it was. I still think I could use coaching on my question asking. Well, the, the question asking that you're referring to is the drilling for information part of, of the empathy step. Yep. Everybody needs practice with that. That's just yep. hard. Um, and as um, it sounds like you know, from a timing perspective, emergency, this, this occurred a bit in the heat of the moment, and that's not ideal, but it's there if you need it, and it turned out to be pretty productive. This kid was able to give you, provide you with lots of information, even though it was somewhat in the heat of the moment. Um, so just to make sure that everybody knows, um, some of the lagging skills and unsolved problems that gave rise to that particular scenario are longstanding and could be dealt with proactively before she spits Cheetos out at people or whatever she had in her mouth, chewed up. But um, uh, here's the, here's the take-home message. Good for you. You're on your way. Yes, there are things that we could tune up. And you, come up, you figure out the things that need to be tune up, tuned up the more you do it, and the more the more you do it, the more you recognize that um, there's the more it becomes apparent what things it is that still need some work. But that's like hitting a baseball. That's like any new skill that people are learning. The biggest frustration. Good for you, and we're going to find out if the solution that you all were sort of hovering around keeps Cheeto spitting from happening again. But here's the good news. It's quite clear. First of all, Plan B, there are many definitions of success with Plan B. There's many definitions of working. And you've just given us one of the most important. If through Plan B a kid feels understood, if a kid feels like you're somebody they can come to, you understand. If on one unsolved problem... You've uncovered what's getting in the kid's way, and you're starting to move in the direction of having a plan on working on it. I, I, you haven't achieved the holy grail of success, which is, which is that the problem is durably solved, but you're well on your way. So good for you. And I know you have to run. I do. You have an open invitation to call in any time and keep us posted on these challenges. i got lots of material. What's that? I have lots of material. You have lots of material, and to tell you the <laughs> truth, the situation in which you find yourself is very typical. Call in again, please. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Green. Take care. Yes. So, um, wow. Uh, always good to have people call in again because then we, the continuity part of Plan B becomes much more apparent. Um, Plan B is not a one-shot deal. Solving problems is incremental. Not a one-shot deal. So somebody has emailed us in. Does this teacher have any extra help in her classroom? Because that's an awful lot of kids with significant problems. Is her principal supportive? We don't know that stuff. I guess... All of that would be great because otherwise 
she's the Lone Ranger in there. Here's the interesting thing. I've seen many people get Plan B going in their schools as the Lone Ranger. Mostly they start in their classroom or they start in their office. If they're a guidance counselor or school social worker or principal or assistant principal, they start getting good at Plan B on their own, and then they start telling other people about it. There's always people in the building who are curious about why Billy's doing better. And how'd you get to have such a good relationship with that kid? How come he's good for you and not for me? If Plan B is the answer, um, well, now you've got something to tell folks about, and they're interested. They're all ears. And so, yes, ideally, you have a supportive principal. Ideally, this is something that the principal or assistant principal is not only behind but pushing and trying to encourage other people to do. Maybe you've got a reading group, book group going on in your school, and Lost at School is the book you're reading. That's the one that's about collaborative problem-solving in schools. But you can do Plan B in your classroom. And 1,800 minutes since March later, you've not only addressed this kid's difficulties with perhaps group entry skills or difficulties entering conversations or starting conversation skills. You may have also addressed the difficulties of her classmates who are making group entry and starting conversations more difficult. You could have addressed that as a group, say in morning meeting or open circle. You could have addressed that on an individual basis, maybe both. The idea here, though, is that rather than being totally consumed by academics, which is tempting, we also understand that we've got to carve out time every day for solving problems, problems that affect the entire group, problems that affect the individuals within that group. Otherwise, we end up putting a whole lot more than 1,800 minutes in. And otherwise, and otherwise those seats outside the principal or assistant principal's office stay occupied. But as I said to some folks in a elementary school this morning, what often happens is the kid acts up in a classroom in a way that was highly predictable. We respond emergently, or the kid gets sent down to the principal or assistant principal's office. The assistant principal or principal responds emergently. And in a way that is often only cursory and surface, the kid gets sent back to class, and we have just guaranteed a repeat performance, an encore. Until we start solving problems proactively and durably, that kid's coming back. And if that cycle continues across the course of an entire school year, the adults are going to start getting really frustrated by March, and they're going to start responding to that kid in a way that uh, isn't so kind and isn't so productive and that starts to get the alienation ball rolling. And the kid starts to lose faith that the adults are ever going to be able to actually understand what's getting in their way and what to do about it. And if that happens school year after school year, 
and continues into middle school and into high school. Well, now you know why I called the book Lost at School. We still lose a lot of kids because of the pattern that I've just described. The ingredients for turning it around, the right lenses, lagging skills, unsolved problems. Getting organized, figuring out exactly what unsolved problems we need to be working on, and carving out time every day to work on it, and then getting good at plan B. Empathy, define the problem, the invitation. Once again, no program next week, March 15th, but then we'll be back again on March 22nd. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on March 22nd.